Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What's up, everyone? John here. Just wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Aspiration. At Aspiration, their investment strategies are built for the middle class. Signing up takes as little as $500 in five minutes of your time. You can sign up and find out more information at aspiration.com slash smart people. Past performance is not indicative of future returns. There is no guarantee that any investment product will achieve its objectives, generate profits, or avoid losses. Investing involves risk of loss, and alternative investments may not be suitable for everyone. Before investing, consider your investment objectives. And now, on to the episode. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello, and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. I'm Chris Stemp. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have a Pulitzer Prize winner on the line today. Can't wait to bring you this episode. Let me ask you a question. How many of you out there read nonfiction, solely nonfiction? You're one of those people that says, you know what? Uh, I just, I don't have time to read fake stuff. I know you're out there. I'm one of them. So we read all this nonfiction, yet sometimes it gets boring and dry. So what I found is the best nonfiction is the kind that's told through a true story. Well, someone who has perfected that art form is our guest this week, Matt Richtel. I'm going to do something that I don't know if we've ever done before. I'm going to play you a trailer narrated by Matt Richtel himself 
of the book that we are discussing this week. That book is titled A Deadly Wandering. This is a true story of a deadly, mysterious car crash and what was happening inside the brain of the person who was driving. Reggie Shaw is the main character of this book, and he is an all-American kid. Reggie was driving to work in his truck. Coming the other direction were two men in a Saturn, and Reggie crossed the Yellow Divider, and tragically, it was a terrible wreck, and two fine men had died. One of the officers on the scene suspected Reggie was texting. Reggie said he didn't know what happened. Here's what the investigators discovered. Reggie was texting. 11 times in the minutes and seconds around the crash, maybe exactly at the crash time. The book explores the science of attention going back to 1850. How do you focus? What causes you to get distracted? What causes your attention to be torn apart? When you are on the phone all the time, it conditions you to want to talk and text, get the ping of excitement, get what they call a dopamine squirt, an adrenaline rush. And when you're behind the wheel and you hear that text, you hear that ping, you hear that incoming call, it becomes practically irresistible. What this book does is try to summarize and create a new thesis around the power of our technology to explain why it is playing to these deep social wirings. And it explains why we need to take real steps to learn to avoid it. So that is a powerful video we will link to on the post at smartpeoplepodcast.com. I think you got a good sense of what we're going to be talking about today, his book, technology, what it does to our brain, the story of Reggie, how Matt became a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. Matt is an American writer and journalist for the New York Times. He went to Berkeley for his undergrad and Columbia for his master's. The book we are discussing is A Deadly Wandering, a New York Times bestseller. It was named one of the best books of 2014 by the Christian Science Monitor, San Francisco Chronicle, and Amazon. If you enjoy this episode, let us know on Twitter. We are at SmartPeoplePod. Make sure to include Matt at MRichtel, M-R-I-C-H-T-E-L. We love hearing from you on Twitter. And be sure to sign up for our newsletter where we send you great stuff interesting quotes, updates, etc. That is at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Here it is, our interview with Matt Richtel. Matt, thank you so much for, for being on the show. Really appreciate it and really excited to talk to you about your book, A Deadly Wandering. I think what it encapsulates is a problem that although I've been aware of, I've only recently noticed how much it has fully infiltrated our society in a, in a dangerous way. So first, I want to say thanks. And second, what prompted you to, to talk about this? Well, it's kind of like what you just said. You know, a few years ago, um, there I was covering technology and, and uh, you know, a lot of technology coverage is either celebrating it or or 
you know, kind of looking at the ticky tack things that don't work. Um, but I was, I was aware of something much bigger or different, or uh, I don't know how to describe it. It was simply my own behavior. I could not believe how compelling I found my relationship to my device. Like I just, I was just getting the, the, the itches for it all the time. Do you know that feeling? Oh my gosh, do I? So, so I'd, uh, that had been in my brain a lot and I was thinking about different ways to cover it. And then, and then I realized that it, it was, it, it had deadly implications inside the car. And it, the more I looked at it, um, the more uh, I realized these are two separate and uh, issues that when together are really, really dangerous. Okay, first of all, and, and I talked about it in the intro a little bit, what the book's about. So the listeners are well aware. Man, I have so many questions. Why don't we start with the story behind it all? First of all, kind of how did you choose that uh, method to carry this message across? Yeah, I mean, this this goes this, this goes as much to my preference as a reader as anything else. I love a story. You know, for me... Uh, the the essence of nonfiction are books like Into Thin Air, um, or the stuff L- Laura Hillebrand does, Sea Biscuit or Unbroken, where where you learn something, but it's almost incidental. You just want to get into the story, um, and it's why most of my books have been fiction because I love storytelling. And there was this story, this inescapable. I mean, I, I, the the story of the character at the heart of this book is interesting even it even if it didn't tell us about our brains in the world and so i ha- i just had to tell his story well and let's let's give our listeners a teaser obviously especially with the the paperback coming out very soon june 2nd you said right june 2nd i i think uh, i'm not sure when they'll hear this but uh it can't be long from now um it comes out and obviously much less expensive and um and a teaser yeah, yeah, a teaser on the, the character in this story. The character at the heart of this is named Reggie Shaw, and in 2006, he was 19 years old, and he was just really the all-American kid, and I guess I mean the, the good kind of all-American kid, like a jock, but not the obnoxious kind, and he got good grades, but they were B-pluses and A-minuses, <laughs> and he had a wry sense of humor, so, you know, he's the all-American kid you can like. Um, and he's a devout Mormon and he wants to go on an LDS mission. And then on the last day of summer in 2006 at 630 in the morning, um, in the freezing rain, he's in his truck going to a painting job and he crosses the yellow divider and he clips a Saturn coming the other direction. And it spins across the road and it is just decimated by a car behind Reggie. And the two men inside the Saturn are killed. And Reggie stops 100 yards down the road, and he professes to not know what happened. But that's not really true. And actually, that's that point is, is very important because I think a lot of us could put ourselves in that situation or could try to and could understand what was going on in his mind. Because behind it all was texting and driving. And I don't think if I'm in that situation, I don't think I could comprehend that I just took two people's lives with a a, an emoticon that I was sending to a friend. A completely innocuous text sent to a young lady who was just had really just met or was just starting to date. And to add color to this, and I really don't want to give this away because I do hope 
I do hope for the sake of understanding the richness of this character and how much he represents all of us, it's worth reading the book. He had a little checker in his past that calls into question for all of us how often he tells the truth under stressful situations Mm -hmm. and how often we all are able, all of us are capable of turning away from hard truths when the stakes are so high. And so he either doesn't realize what he's done or denies it, but a tenacious state trooper discovers, ready for this? Oh, gosh. Texting 11 times in the minutes and seconds right around the wreck, maybe right at the wreck. And what ensues, and again, I don't want to give too much away, is really the first criminal case around texting and driving, and it grips this entire community in northern Utah. They become a kind of all-American town with an all-American kid and a referendum on what it means to pay attention behind the wheel. There's a number of reasons why this book and talking to you at this time was so, I don't know, just... It just made so much sense because so recently I saw on TV this very quick clip and it was showing, I don't know how they get it, but dash cams and it's, you know, teenage drivers. So it's, well, that was a harrowing stuff that you found. Yes. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And it shows them. And a lot of them, most of these actually, uh, they weren't devastating crashes, but what blew my mind is these kids, and I don't want to always use kids because it can be anyone, but they were full on turning their attention to their phones. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't just a check of the phone, which even that's, you know, deadly, but it was like, why is it that we don't realize we're driving down a road at 60 miles an hour and, and we can divert our attention for 15 seconds? That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And you've asked a rich question that has a lot of answers. I'll just say that if anybody wants to go see it, I think that those clips came from the AAA Foundation for uh, Highway Safety, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and there's about 1,700 videos, and some of them are just startling. I mean, the, the young people are engro- so engrossed that they don't realize they're piloting a missile. And and I, I do want to underscore what you said. It's not just young people. In fact, just today, uh, I did a story in the Times that showed that it's it's people age 16 to 65, another survey that came out today, and it's not just texting. It's like 27% acknowledge using Facebook while they drive, 14% tweeting, and of those, 30% say they tweet all the time. This is epidemic. It's all age groups. And one list, I don't want to bury people in stats, but one last little thing I'll say generally, for all the awareness that we have right now and for all the laws that have come in, the behavior appears to be getting worse, more prevalent. So now let's go to answer your question. Why? How can we intellectually know this? As a society, we know this. How come we cannot honor it? How come we can't stay off our phones? You want to take a stab? Well, I actually want to leave that to you with this kind of lead in as well, which yeah. was the second part of, again, this is common knowledge, right? Don't text and drive. They, they're doing a lot about it. But I live just outside of D.C. I spend a lot of time driving. And recently, and I mean only within the past three to six months, every single person, every single person I look at is in some way distracted by their phone on the road. It's incredible. I'm not saying that is like an over-exaggeration, but it feels like every day when I look. And so as I'm kind of admonishing them, I realize, you know, I do it sometimes too, and I justify it. And I just thought this is so backwards, you know? So so, go ahead. (laughs) Let's get at this. 
And let's also say one thing, especially for this audience, which is a really, a really, you know, I think is is basically me in that it's parents, educators, you know, people who this is we're not in the end. You'll see where we travel in this conversation, the book and this conversation and the science I'm going to give you really goes well beyond the car, because what we're doing in the car only reflects the amount to which we have become habituated to being on the phone all the time. And once you realize the answer to your question, why, it, you may find it incredibly startling as to the extent to which you're being hijacked, why you're being hijacked, and then you may make different decisions. So let's get after it, all right? Yep, let's do it. The first thing to think about is, maybe we could do a little exercise with your audience. And this is going to be an act of sort of neuroscience as we as we work our way towards why do we why do we are we so drawn to the phone that we do it even um, under dangerous circumstances? So picture with me, if you will, our forebears, people who came long before. So basically us, but a lot hairier, <laughs> and they're tending to a fire. You, you got that image in your head? Oh yeah. Okay. Now that person gets a tap on the shoulder from behind. Let me just ask you. The rhetorical question, do you think the person can avoid turning around to see who's there? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You don't, That person doesn't know if it's opportunity or threat. Now, if you're in the car and you're driving and the phone rings, on one level, this is like a, a tap on the shoulder from anyone anywhere in the world. Very, very hard to ignore. You don't know whether it's opportunity or threat. And now I just want to take you through, is it okay if I tell you what's happening in your brain at that moment? I would actually really enjoy that, as I know our listeners love this stuff. Okay, so here's what's happening in your brain, and I, I get much deeper into the book, into this stuff, but this is essentially it. The front part of your brain, if you tap your forehead, that's where your prefrontal cortex is, your frontal lobe. It's the most evolved part of the human being, and it it's the part that um, is involved in focus, high-level attention, Art, architecture, civilization, I mean, that is the human condition. It's tending to the fire or tending to the road. But when when you get a, a tap on the shoulder from behind or hear a roar of a lion or hear the phone ring, it sends a signal from now you can tap the back of your neck, and I'm being a little overly simplistic, but these are much more reptilian parts of the brain, survival parts. And they send a message that says to the frontal part, um, lion, run or die. You with me? Yep. It's a survival act of hi hijacking of your prefrontal cortex. Yeah, you need to build a fire, but not as much as you need to get away from the lava or the person with the spear or discover if someone has food for you. That's one piece. And I think we should just do a full stop there and say, understand that that same mechanism is at work when you hear the phone ring behind the wheel. Now let's take a break for a message from our sponsor this week. Our episode is brought to you by lynda.com, the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash smart people. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash smart people. Lynda.com is for problem solvers, for the curious, for people who want to make things happen. And we think that's you. Maybe you want to master Excel, learn how to negotiate, learn how to build a website, boost your Photoshop skills, go to lynda.com slash smart people and feed that curious mind. Some of the courses I recommend are going paperless, start to finish, 
income tax fundamentals. Although we might've missed that, you can always use it next year and growth hacking fundamentals. Everybody wants to hack. Why not grow faster? With a lynda.com membership, you can watch and learn from top experts, stream thousands of videos, and learn at your own pace. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something, I want you to visit lynda.com slash smart people and sign up for your free 10-day trial. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash smart people. Now back to the show. Yeah, actually, I'm glad you stopped there because that is something in in kind of researching for this interview I, I read about and was because I consider myself kind of fairly knowledgeable along these lines. But the the actual hijacking that yeah. happens and, and that's yes. a great term. I was unaware of that. Do you, can you go into maybe a little bit more detail on that? Or? Yeah, I, w- I would love to. Um, I the other way that the hijacking works, in fact, I'm going to give you a, a, a kind of a, a few bullet points of evidence about this hijacking. The other thing about that information is it's social and social information is ingrained in us. It may be of it may be part of our evolution. It may just be a highly adaptive thing. But if you go back to our person in front of the fire, let's say you and I are in front of a fire and you put your hand in it and burn yourself and get an infection. If you can't tell me that the fire burned you and, and could kill you, then I have to learn that myself. What, what is the point of that anecdote? The point is social information is essential for our survival. You need to be able to communicate to me. So when the phone rings, now it's not just um, a potential source of information. It's a potential source of social information. Another thing that makes that signal so, so powerful May I give you yet a third piece? Please do. Okay. I, I always have to pause because I get, you know, I get passionate. I start rambling in your, in your podcasters or I don't want them nodding off. No, that's the point of it. That's why we have, that's smart people podcast is to let smart people do the talking. So that's why we got you on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, just they can, they can, uh, you know, if they deem me not smart, uh, they send me notes. So, Indeed. so the other thing is you would say to yourself, well, gosh, if a lot of this stuff is spam, if it's irrelevant, I would get conditioned not to answer. Here's just the just the most startling twist. When it's spam, when it's irrelevant, when it's nonsense, it actually makes your phone more compelling to answer. You want to take a stab as to why that is? I actually have no idea. <laughs> no idea. Okay. I got two words for you, slot machine, mm. but I'll, I'll put it another way. Um, Skinnerian behavioral psychology. You know, B.F. Skinner had did this deal where he put a rat in a cage, and then the rat would press the lever but not know which press of the lever brought food. And so the rat would press, 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 and what that was was some a kind of conditioning called intermittent reinforcement. It's one of the most powerful lures in psychology. And if, if the listeners will um, will bear the comparison of us to rats, we don't know which press of the smartphone brings good stuff. And so we get conditioned to press it all the time. So now think about this survival, the mere survival message, the fact that it's social information, the fact that spam makes it more. And I'll add one more thing to it. And that is there's early science here. And again, I go into much more of this in the deadly wandering in trying to explain what was happening in Reggie's brain and ours, but there's this nascent science that shows 
that when you interact with your phone, you get a dopamine squirt. And it's not just when you get information, but when you send information, you get a release of the same neurochemical dopamine that you get when you get any kind of major reward, sex, food, drugs. Are you getting a picture here? Yeah. And, you know, I love that again, because this is the beauty of the show is I love understanding things. And what I didn't know, given the other things I knew about this, was this fact that it's it evolved from our ability to survive. The sharing information is built so deeply into our reptilian brain that essentially that's what we're doing, sharing information. You got it. With the added piece that there appears to be a mechanical experience that might be even extra to information gathering, meaning you know how when you peck at your phone, you just get a kind of a thrill, just mm. a cause and effect. To me, this goes to um, a principle I've observed with my kids. I mentioned that they, they notice a dopamine squirt or they that appears to be where the evidence is heading when you interact with your phone. You know, I noticed that when my kids were little, they would do stuff just to see what happened. I think that is deeply built into us. When we interact with our device, we cause something to happen. There is an there is a very uh, a, a potentially very kind of adaptive, old, primitive um, yearning to see something happen. So that's cause and effect. In addition to the social information, the reason I mention that um, is that. When I now look at the phone and our interaction with it, I see something very different than I need to get something done or this is an essential thing or I need to catch up. I look at something that is tapping into deep, primitive wirings that may have little to do with what we're telling ourselves hmm. and much more to do with playing to really, really deep, primitive wiring. Man, okay, again a little bit mind-blowing. I'm going to have to sit on that because here's why. So yeah. I've recently gotten really frustrated with the lack of good things to read in the world. And I mean, read quickly. I mean, you know, blog posts, whatever, especially the ones I find on my phone. I'm like these, the apps that curate them. And what I realized is a lot of times I'll go to my phone in the car, in an elevator, in line, because I feel like, oh, I have a few spare seconds. I can get things done. Right. I can learn. I can be more productive as a human because can't leave a second to waste. But essentially, I end up leaving most of those interactions with my technology feeling like I didn't accomplish much. And I think now the reason isn't because the information isn't good. It's because I didn't really go there for that purpose in the first place. You got it, baby. That's and let me so give weird. You, let me give you something even more uh, potent on those lines. One of the things that um, unfolds in this book is that what's happening to you, and I, I am guilty of the same thing, is that, remember I mentioned this little, this burst of uh, reward chemical, the mm -hmm. dopamine? Yeah. Well, here what here's what may be happening. You get so accustomed to it. You get a burst, you get a burst, you get a burst. In its absence, you feel bored, and then you have to go seek it out. What you may be really doing is feeding your brain a little burst of neurochemical that has zero to do with learning and in fact may be counterproductive to it because research that I've got in the book will show you that when you are on all the time, you are starving your brain of moments of rest where you're synthesizing in the background. 
I, 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 it, it kills me when I hear my voice and how exercised I get over this. But I really do think that what's happening here is that our device is starting to play to us the way junk food plays to us. And here's what I mean. Junk food is a byproduct of a great thing, the industrialization of food that brought more calories to more people. And in junk food, we figured out how to get short circuit the delivery of sugar and fat that in some ways our body craves. But rather than going through the jungle and fighting a woolly mammoth to get it, you got to go stick a quarter in the machine and then you get obese and diabetes. And we're learning the hard way that we have played to our primitive needs for these things without thinking through the implications. I have a feeling we're doing that now with our devices. We are being played to so deeply that we are short-circuiting these deep needs without thinking of the costs. Hmm. And, you know, that that was kind of that last part especially, without thinking about the costs, what drew me into the story that you used to tell this larger narrative. I think that... I was so just upset at having watched the teenagers in their, their dash cams, looking around me, seeing people in cars using them, and then noticing myself. I was so upset at just the lack of concern for others' safety. And yeah. that's what got me. And then the way you say, okay, yes, we all know that's an issue, but let's bring it back to this larger issue of technology on the whole, technology addiction, and then even further break it down into the science, which again, I'm the kind of person that I have to understand it in order to believe it. So that was just a really great way of putting it. It's kind of my, you know, when I get in front of like, I've been trying to think about when I get in front of high school or college audiences, how to make this resonant because they have an even bigger challenge, but they're, they're hardly alone. Their bigger challenges, their frontal lobes, which I mentioned to earlier are less developed. It's harder for them to fend off the pain and I really, you know, I, I fear for them. I fear for us. I fear for all of us, but I fear for them. And I want to put, I was trying to put this in terms that are resonant. And my theory has been relative to the point you just made. If I could explain the science, maybe they'd think to myself, I want to own my phone. I don't want it to own me. Mm-hmm. You know, take control of your device now that you understand what it's doing, because quite obviously it can be such a powerful tool after all. Absent technology, we're not doing this podcast. I don't write my book. I can't uh, write the music I like to write or the fiction I like to write or work at a distance from the New York Times and have more flexibility to live in a community that's comfortable. I mean, technology is wonderful. We just have to take advantage of it um, and not and not have it own us, which is what I fear can be can happen. And now a quick word from one of this week's sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Igloo. Igloo is an intranet you'll actually like. It's a cloud platform that can help you do your best work, share files, blog updates, coordinate calendars, and manage projects. It's easy to use and easy to configure, even for the most non-technical of users. And it's built using responsive design, which means that everything you can do at your desk, you can now do on the go on your phone or tablet. The responsive design is meant to look great on all your devices. Whether you're a large enterprise stuck using SharePoint or a fast-growing business overwhelmed by apps, create an intranet that matches your brand's look and feel, simplifies how you work, and is accessible on your phone. If you're a small business or a group of people that are looking to get something off the ground, Igloo is an absolute necessity. 
Chris and I set up our own personal intranet for Smart People Podcast, and it is absolutely amazing. No longer do we have to send each other all these texts and emails and all of that jazz. We can go on our intranet, see what we have scheduled, see the associated files with it. It is absolutely amazing. Sign up now and try it out for free at igloosoftware.com slash smartpeople. That's igloosoftware.com slash smartpeople and invite up to 10 of your favorite coworkers to try it with you. And now back to the show. So let me ask you this. This might seem like a simple question, but say we are in line at the grocery store. We have 15 minutes, right? It's one of those crazy long lines. Let's call it, uh, it's Whole Foods at 5... 45 during the week. Um, What do we do? What do we do instead of look at our phone? All right. Well, um, you mind a little bit of science? No, I love it. Okay. They got this rat at UCSF and it, they start measuring its brain waves when it crawls, when it has a new experience, like crawling onto a table. And then the rat, um, they, they, they do two things with the rat. In one case, they, interrupt the rat and give it a new task. In another, they let it rest. In the case where its brain rests, they can watch the learning from having climbed on the table in the first place become, in effect, embedded in the hippocampus, embedded as memory. In the case where the rat remains busy and trying a new thing, it doesn't get encoded in memory. What's the lesson? The lesson is when you don't have downtime, You don't learn and remember at the same level that you did before. So if you're in that line at at Whole Foods and you're constantly stimulating yourself, you may be lacking the ability to think through a deeper problem. Now, there are limitations to to this science. And what I'm giving you in the book and in these stories is a, a best extrapolation from the people who think about it. But I'd love to give you one other study that helps underscore it, if, if I might. These are these things are gold. Keep going. Okay. Some of your listeners have probably heard of the chocolate cake study, and I'll oversimplify it a bit here, but not so much that we lose the thread. The scientists have a bunch of people go in a room, and they get to choose, you want the chocolate cake or do you want the fruit cocktail? And um, the twist is that some, some of the people have to memorize a handful of numbers before they go in the room. The people who have to memorize the numbers before they have to go in the room are much more likely to choose the chocolate cake than the fruit cocktail. Why? Why does memorizing a few numbers cause you to choose the less healthy thing? The reason, surmise, the researchers and where it fits in here is when you are stimulated, when a lot of information or even some information is being captured and held in your brain, it impinges your ability to make a decision. Or if you want to be grander about it and it's not too grand, it, imp- it inflicts your, it impinges your, your free will. The thing we think about is free will. When you're behind the wheel and you are driving, that is taking up some of your brain power. It compromises your ability to even decide whether to use the phone. When you're in the market line at Whole Foods and you're constantly stimulated, it may affect your ability to make clear-headed decisions about other places and times in your life. I, I think we've got a better society when we are picking deliberate periods of downtime to feel peaceful, not because that moment is more peaceful, but because of the rest of our lives are more lucid. I'm going to highlight, underscore that, and put it on the quotes on the website because you know what I loved is you didn't jump straight into, you know what we need to do? We need to meditate. <laughs> 
You know, although I think there's a big place for that, and I, I like it. I try to do it as often as possible. But really, it's more just give yourself that time, regardless of if you don't know why. Just trust that your brain needs it because for millions of years it has had that. You know, I, I, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm no better. I'm, I'm no. I can't be holier than thou about this. I can't believe how often I fall into. I, I can watch myself from the outside going. Man, it would really be helpful if you stuck your phone in your pocket right now. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I hear the words of like this, the, uh, a Harvard prof that I mentioned in here. He says, bring back downtime. Rest is for the brain what sleep is for the body. And and I, I let that filter through me. And here's what I realize. And I strongly suspect your listeners, if they're anything like me, will they know this viscerally. This isn't like you got to go meditate, you got to go on the mountaintop. I think we know viscerally that there is a benefit to quiet. And here's one way I think we know this. When you go on vacation and you do turn off your phone, you know that feeling you get where you kind of don't want to turn it back on again and you're sort of slowing down? Does that ring a bell at all? I mean, I have to tell you this. So uh, I went on my honeymoon uh, almost a year ago and it was, there was no service, right? No cell phone, no wireless, no nothing. And it was only the second time in my life where I felt like my thoughts were as crisp and clear and detailed and free as possible. And and that's it. That also might speak highly to your honeymoon. (laughs) Man, you can put, you can put that on good the website point. quotes too. Oh, believe me, I will. That's a great point. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I mean, that's there's sort of a proof is in the pudding thing here. So it's like, how do you make the decisions about when? You know, another thing that that fits into this for me. Let, let me tether this back to the book for a second. One of the reasons I chose Reggie, his community, the battle that took place there, is because there was such a wrestling there about what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong. And underneath it was something that I connected to as well. And that was, let me think how to phrase this. I get, what are we escaping from? You know, and and one of the things I I realized that Reggie on this morning that he got in in the wreck um, was doing a little escaping himself and I don't want to give away the 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 hard thing that he was dealing with but man he was just he was just getting out of his own head a little bit I've noticed sometimes that I will check uh, I don't know if your listeners know I'm based in San Francisco I've noticed I've literally noticed that my wife will say something like uh, didn't I tell you to you know didn't I ask you sorry my wife would never tell me uh, <laughs> Didn't I ask you politely to take out the trash? And I will notice that in a moment where I might have one of those minor, you know, marital clashes, I will go check the Giants baseball score. Hmm. Now, what the heck am I doing right there? What I'm doing is, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of an existential moment. And I think in a way this, this if, you, if, if we go cosmic for a second, there's a way in which, you know, life presents us with all kinds of challenges. And... And, and the phone can be a way of, it can be a way of confronting, but it can also be a way of, ev- of avoiding and evading from the small to like, you know, I'm sorry, I should have taken out the trash to the large. Like, what the heck am I doing on this marble? And and I think that maybe one of the things 
that I noticed with Reggie and others around him is they would escape to the phone, and I can say that I'm guilty of it sometimes too. The escape, I think, again, it's one of those things I've heard it. I don't know if I've really believed it until the way you put it. And it's like the same question I asked about being in that Whole Foods line. You know, obviously that's a ridiculous question, but I've been there and I've thought to myself, what else would I do? And I think a lot of it is our inability, our discomfort with being alone, being with our thoughts, because man, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what I'm going to think. I might start to feel bad and God forbid, I feel bad for a minute, you know? And so it's easier to just soak in something else. So, so to put a, to add a, a layer to this, and, and I, I try to get into this at the end of the book, but I, I think many of your listeners are probably parents and, and maybe educators, right? but there's a whole bunch of do as I say, not as I do stuff going on here. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened in the last few days, um, this thing happened where my, my kids are almost seven and almost five. And we've, we've been pretty cautious about screen time, partly because of everything I've learned and partly, frankly, because we just we have the resources to hire a babysitter and my wife and I have somewhat flexible jobs. So I know that it can be holier than now to tell people, don't let your kids use devices. I mean, it's a great babysitter and we've used it as such, but they haven't had phones mm. and they happened to find old phones in a drawer the other day and they plugged them in and they were thrilled. They were mommy <laughs> and daddy. And we could not get them off these old phones where they were just hunting and pecking. There wasn't even service. They were calling up pictures and music. And you know what they were doing? They were emulating us. Wow. I mean, they were emulating us. We, we, how many times have you said, I guess you just got married, so you may not have kids yet. I don't know your. Yeah, no, we have, we just had a, he's not even a month old. <laughs> okay. So you, you, congratulations. Thank you. And, uh, and you'll, you, you, I, I bet your listeners, this will resonate. It's I, everybody I talk to says something like this. The kids will come up and they'll go, Hey, Hey dad. And you'll go, Hey, just one sec. I just have to do this one thing. Yes. Oh yeah. You know it. Oh yeah. I mean, if we aren't laying the groundwork for the next generation with every single one of those and basically saying, and you have to ask yourself, is it really just one thing I have to do? Or have we insulated ourselves in this biosphere of electronic narcissism and 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 you know there's just a little bubble wrap around us that they're trying to puncture um you know that that's our duty to pull that off not just for their sake in the moment but for their sake going down the road it gets very simple to send the message because because the way that message sounds is it's not only what i'm doing is important but you can justify whatever you're doing in the moment if it's around the device and it can feel justifiable. Yeah. And, and I know you have to leave, but, and you kind of just mentioned it, but let's real quick, take 30 seconds more on that. Why is it justifiable because it's a device or because it's technology? It's justifiable because uh, for, for a couple of reasons, one, it is novel and new, and there, it, there are messages coming from every direction that say it's not only okay, but wonderful. The marketing messages today say, if you're not, if you, you know, you know, the ones that say we have more nodes than everyone, or, you know, <laughs> you don't even, you could even go to Everest and you will not be without a thing. The implicit message is if you, you're not cool, if you're not always on. 
And then there's a societal message that we all feel viscerally, which is if I don't get back to someone, I could be I could be compromising my job, my relationship. And since we know what that feels to be like on the end where we send a, you know, you send a message to someone, you don't hear back for 10 seconds, you want to put out an APB. <laughs> well, you know, you're getting that that message the other direction. So we create this unvirtuous cycle around that. That's why it becomes justifiable. You know, the other thing I'd say, if I could draw one more parallel. Sure. I think about it sometimes in terms of our relationship to the sun. It used to be if you had a lot of sun, you know, you got a sunburn or a tan, you worked in the fields. Then for a while, like, you know, in the 70s, it meant you were rich enough to go on vacation to warm places. And now it means you're too stupid to put on SPF. (laughs) And I think that we're going to learn now that, you know, someday people are going to be always on. And instead of thinking you've got the coolest new device, they're going to think, man, you are not paying any attention to your brain. And so I think that, you know, as, as, as has gone our relationship to the sun, maybe we'll go our relationship to our device. We need vitamin D. We just don't, we just don't need uh, melanoma. Another great analogy. And, you know, Matt, it, it's just a testament to the reason why your writing is so amazing. This book is incredible. You've had a, a lot of success because your ability to turn a topic into a story and a story into an emotion and an understanding is really incredible. I, I want to say, you know, that, with that, with that kind of compliment, I see why your honeymoon went so well. <laughs> no, I mean it. I just appreciate, I don't know. I just, I, I appreciate kind of the way the spin you put on this. And, and now that I'm over 30 and you know, I've been through a lot of the texting and driving and my mom yelling at me phases, I'm a little more mature and understand. And now you're a dad and you realize your mom was right. <laughs> it's and it, true. The cycle goes on. It's so true. Matt, it was great. Thank you so much. I will uh, get this up this weekend and let you know. Okay. All, All right. right. Bye. Have great a good day. one. Bye-bye. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Matt Rictal. Boy, did that episode hit close to home. You know, I sit here, and as I was editing the episode, I had my iPhone on, I had my Android tablet on, and of course, the computer that I was doing the editing on, I had Twitter open, I had ESPN, I was tracking the scores of the Nationals, and Matt is definitely right. (laughs) That's all I can say, Matt is definitely, definitely right. The paperback version of his book is being released tomorrow, Tuesday, June 2nd. The name of his book is A Deadly Wandering, A Tale of Tragedy and Redemption in the Age of Attention. You can find his book on Amazon or at your local bookstore. And if you do decide to buy it on Amazon, don't forget to use the Amazon banner over at smartpeoplepodcast.com or use our link smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. If you want to reach out to the show, we're only an email or tweet away. You can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com and find us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. Please don't forget that the easiest way to support the show is to head over to iTunes and Stitcher and leave a rating and review over there. It really does help out the show. It takes a couple minutes out of your day and we truly do appreciate it. So thank you very much if you've already done so and if you plan on doing it. We appreciate that as well. Please stay tuned as we've got some great episodes coming up, and we will see you guys next week. A huge thank you to Igloo for sponsoring this episode of Smart People Podcast. 
Igloo is an intranet you'll actually like. It gives you the flexibility to get your work done how you want, where you want, and on whatever device you want. It's built with easy-to-use apps like file sharing, calendars, social news feeds, and task management. Igloo is the cloud platform that can help you do your best work. Get your free trial today at igloosoftware.com slash smart people and invite up to 10 of your favorite coworkers. Thank you, Igloo, for being a supporter of Smart People Podcast. <laughs> 